So um, thank, thank you, Sarah, and um, it's a pleasure to join you all again. Um, so Wade, um, from your perspective, I know we've done a, a little bit of work together. Um, you know, we, we were initially introduced, introduced with the Australasian Reporting Awards as we we're talking around the Health and Safety Index um, and how that relates to annual reporting. Um, do you want to just briefly explain to us uh, the importance of annual reporting and how this might tie into critical control management? Yeah, thanks, Mark, and thanks um, to, to you both for the invite. And I, I think to this part, and, and where Mark and I both we introduced and sort of bonded was around to how how fast reporting changes are coming through the ecosystem and how they're being driven by different levels of institutional investors and other stakeholders that um, that that most of us as you know health and safety professionals may not be in touch with or may not be seeing in the marketplace or maybe seeing things like you know acronyms like ESG come through and wondering where this fits so I think we're in a really good position as, as both the profession but also as a, as a subset of the activities we do such as um, critical risk um, critical control management to really show how we can sort of bring further transparency more timely reporting um, but also use this to help um, outline for the benefit of those who, who either invest in our business or are, who are touched by our business, sort of that more granular and transparent risk thresholds that we have for various levels of risk within our business. So, um, you know, I'm pretty excited to talk here today, but also to share some of the learnings that we've had on our journey um, and, and to also learn from, from yourselves as well. So as part of today, um, we'll do a bit of a recap. We've, we've done four sessions so far, so I'll provide a bit of an outline of where we've been. Um, and then I'll sort of play almost facilitate around asking Wade some tough questions around well, what is ESG and how does it relate back to, to reporting around health and safety and other broader material matters for organisations, along with sharing, um, I guess, different ways to measure, learn and improve. Um, as it relates to critical control management. So if we just quickly reflect back on webinars one to four, webinar one was really around understanding where organisations want to play in the context of their level of maturity and their goals. So understanding that there are different levels of maturity. We use the phrases one to five um, from basic compliance all the way through to leading best practice. And then using different mechanisms, uh, we have some online assessment tools we use. Other organisations have other ways of doing gap analysis and similar things to understand, well, how are we performing today and what do we actually need to do to improve to, to bridge the gap? We also overlaid the principles around plan, do, check, act. So the ISO management system standards with critical control management around identifying materially unwanted events, identifying critical controls through some structured critical risk um, analysis processes, setting standards, parameters around well, what is the criteria that relates to each of the critical controls, um, and then building capability around that to execute. And then last week, we worked with Beck from BSA and we, we spoke a little bit about verifying critical controls in the field and evaluating the broader critical control management program at an organisation level. So today it's really around, well, um, acting. So it's, it's almost like the full circle where we're going back and saying, well, how do we review, learn and improve and ensure that those material unwanted events that we spoke about in the first place are still relevant and valid today?
So a bit of a bit of a snapshot on, I guess, why this is important at a, an industry and an investor level. Wade's going to be talking a fair bit around annual, annual reporting, um, stakeholder interests. So this, although it's you know um, a big focus here on the graphs here are very much a, a share price commercial focus. The tragic events around multiple people losing their lives are just one or two examples of some catastrophic events that unfortunately impact our, our workplaces um, on a too frequent basis. So the, the first example is Dreamworld. Um, and the, the second example, which happened a few years ago, was a, 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 um, a tanker rolled over with about 40,000 litres of fuel, um, killed two people and um, really injured a, another person with some really tragic burns. Um, now, the human loss is, is terrible. Um, and you can see here the, the impact that it has and the, the shareholders really voting with their feet around pulling out of these businesses. And from what I understand, um, although Dreamworld is still functioning, there's some other organisations that haven't been as lucky and have gone into receivership just because of the impact um, of this. So from your point of view, uh, Wade, have you seen I guess a, a bit of a shift in shareholder mindset around managing these sorts of catastrophic events. I think so, and 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 also um, there's a wide variety of reporting um, services with that, which actually scour sites, uh, company reporting, and those types of things, and form indices and, and give scores based upon certain um, criterion um, and that invests or that actually provides information to investors as to where to park their, their funds and where they're looking for return on investment. So often prior it was around you know having a headline return on investment and understanding how that um, the, the risk profile affected um, the returns but now it's a much more diversified model of allocation of resources and investing and, and there's a lot more information out there um, especially such as ESG indices, but also how reporting is taken into account as to where people put their money. And, and, and often people are, are very much aware around the stock market is full of um, both, you know, ourselves, you know, within our super funds that, that, that invest in these areas, but also, you know, personally you're investing, you know, if you, if you have um, additional capital you'd like to invest, but also institutional shareholders, um, stakeholders. So those large pension funds, funds, um, government entities, but also companies, balance sheets as well. So there, there is a very big push at the moment. And, and what I would say, probably it's a push from the investors, but it's a pull towards those of us that are working in safety management that, you know, our roles have never been more and more important. And, um, you know, the, the, the slide on the screen sort of shows that whilst the fines that, that may be attributable by the courts and the workers' compensation payments, um, you know, they're, they're exceptionally important, but Often a company's balance sheet, the losses to a company's balance sheet based upon reputational risk and perceived um, poor operating um, can, can often be you know, into the well, into the hundreds of millions rather than the tens of millions when you get the fines that it can be now issued by the courts. So as we relate this back to some of the international standards and expectations um, and tying it back into the subject area of critical control management, Wade, what sort of shift have you seen in um, 
ESG reporting standards, in particular um, GRI and, and some of the recent changes that they've instigated. Yeah, and, and, and so often people you know, became aware of the Global Reporting Index and then there were some revised changes to the standard and it, it's been a really good push um, in advancing the disclosures that you need to make under GRI if you're either reporting from an annual perspective or, or, or undertaking sustainability reporting. Um, and, and if you if you if you say that you're reporting to GRI, typically such as a disclosure like 403 number two, you have to talk about how your risk management system is based and and um, you know how you control risk. And that's an area where in the past it may have been sufficient to say, hey, we conform to ISO 45001 or we follow a legislative management system um, or, or other areas or, or for whatever it is. Now you're able to implement, or should you choose to disclose, you can actually put in there things like we undertake, yes, we undertake 45,001, or yes, our risk processes conform to 31,000, but we also have a subset for things like critical um, critical control management and looking at, at and how we determine material unwanted events. So, um, you know, stakeholders are really thirsty for this information and they want to see more and more both qualitative information that's coming out of say audit and risk committees or safety and sustainability committees but also more granular quantitative data that's more reflective of how you're managing risk rather than just reporting on what's occurred in the reporting period. Great and look from what I understand some of the other changes that um, have been pushed by GRI in particular have been around consequence management so just not reporting on injury statistics so that the, the concept around consequence management ties in really nicely to a critical control management framework um, and also a big push more recently on health. So, you know, even through these webinars, um, our bias has been talking a lot about safety, um, but, you know, critical control management can be applied to health, um, environment and the broader ESG um, governance framework um, because by nature it's managing the how effective controls are or reporting on how effective those controls are regardless of the subject area. So telling a story through annual reports is a great way to celebrate success and provide opportunities for investors to, to understand what's going on. Um, on the on the, the screen here is, I guess, the framework from uh, the World Economic Forum. They, they recently put out a framework on ESG and I understand a, a, a lot of large um, top four consulting firms all contributed to that. From your perspective, Wade, you know, are you seeing a, a push in one particular area if you look at these four different pillars? Yeah, I, I think the at the moment, you know, you'd be you'd be living under a rock if you weren't aware of the, the discussion that's happening around carbon um, and and you know the effects that that's having on the environment. So I think that's taking centre stage at the moment. But there's also a very big understanding that that should we you know, fail to take heed and to prevent certain scenarios, yet that's going to have a an effect on on people and the world we live in and the, and the supply chains in which we operate within. So I think there's, you know, um, what started as the UN Sustainable Development Goals becoming a lot more na narrow around where we need to focus our effort. And there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more discussion of the concept of double materiality. So materiality is it, the concept of you know, what is important and the concept of double materiality is around what is important to both the planet and the ecosystems we operate in as well as what's material to the business stakeholders that 
that work um, either within or affected by the, the business. So there's these these principles are driving more and more focus into non-financial um, risk areas, but it's also a very large acknowledgement that non-financial risk over time does become financial risk that affects um, how businesses operate, um, both on the revenue side and the cost side, um, and, and the fact that you know there are large both gains to be made um, and opportunities to be seized area. So, you know, if you're looking at a planet perspective, you can look at more uh, efficient and effective ways in which you're producing goods or services that benefits the economic prosperity of the people you employ and the people you service, which leads to further economic prosperity of those communities which you're in. So it's an acknowledgement of um, that all three of those things are connected and that the capital markets play a role in that. And if there's, if there's not strong principles of governance around how these inter interact with each other, um, you can then have things fall between the cracks. And I think this is the most pleasing part of all of it because in the last sort of five years, it's been largely the safety discussion has been driven by industrial manslaughter in Australia. Um, and, and now it's swinging back to being, yes, outcome focused and yes, consequence orientated, but it's being balanced by the positive performance that, that the focus on these three areas can bring to, to employee groups and communities we operate in. Look, a, a good example of where an organisation may not have um, really had a good handle on some of these ESG-related risks is um, I was talking to a colleague more recently and he had to have a really uncomfortable conversation with his CEO and board around having to increase the balance sheet because they hadn't factored in a whole bunch of legacy risk and environmental um, pollutants that the organisation inherited through an acquisition. So. I know that's a, a very negative example, but but you know if you flip that on on a, on a tad, you know you can turn that to a positive in terms of de demonstrating how you are uh, managing this sort of stuff proactively um, as well. Agreed, and, and look, it, it also happens in principles of of setting budgets for capex. You know, often we've you know the the our professions really push safety in design, but often you don't get to the right table to have those chats around the lifestyle lifestyle cost of an asset. So I think the other thing is around looking at lifestyle, life cycles of carbon accounting. There's also, you know, further runway in developing years to look at how do the assets and the businesses in our operating context affect the employee life cycle, um, particularly in mental health. So, you know, I'm really positive that around, you know, the runway is really early for us and, and a lot of the foundations are being set first and foremost by corporate governance and someone referred to in the chat around principle seven of the Corporate Governance Council, and that is really positive reading. Um, and then secondly, it's gonna be improved with, you know, Task Force for Climatic Disclosure and also for, for um, Nature Disclosure, TFND, which is coming through. And then that's gonna roll through into social impact and, and around the health of populations and including employee subsets. So Wayne, we've spoken really broadly, um, we've tried to, start really broadly around the bigger picture around expectations of shareholders what's happening from the world economic forum if we now try and tie this back um, with a little bit of practical advice and learning to to the listeners around well, how, how do we actually do do this well and how does it tie back into critical control management um, for a lot of the listeners that the principles and lag and lead indicators has been around for a long time um, and there's you know an obvious um, benefit of having a nice balanced scorecard where you're looking at both. Ideally, you know, getting out of the day-to-day the -day reactive mode around chasing um, and 
managing injuries and um, severe incidents and trying to be a little bit more proactive in measuring lead indicators is a big push for many organisations. The other opportunity for organisations is to start to explore and predict. Um, so moving beyond lead and lag and actually looking at, well, how, how do we almost forecast what's going to happen looking at trends in a proactive sense? So we, we use the health and safety index to do that. There's lots of other tools out there, um, but certainly getting feedback at scale to understand behaviours, experiences and conditions from the from the troops on the ground and then segmenting that in a way can be a, a really good proactive way to get ahead of the curve. Um, so if we, if, we, if we look at that um, and break that down, um, the health and safety index is split into um, a whole range of different um, aspects, but more specifically, the, the dimensions are broken into to seven areas, six of which are behaviours. So if we're starting to explore and predict, well, what's working, what's not working, what can we do differently? Um, there are ways that organisations can start to get a better handle on what's happening proactively um, and forecast where to invest their time, money and resources. So tying that back to critical control management, if you're really clear on what your material unwanted events are and what your critical controls are and you've got mechanisms to verify that, if you also know that there's certain behaviours um, in certain pockets of the organisation, be it geography, be it business unit or region, you can start to overlay some of those specific lead indicators around what people are saying around either not setting clear expectations, not calling people on at-risk behaviours or not responding to things in a timely manner and start to tie that back into your verification processes around critical control management. Um, Wade, did you have any other thoughts thinking in around how you can almost forecast or preempt some of these behaviours and tying it back to critical control management? Yeah, I, I think often you don't want to do a critical control management project and then leave it on the shelf or wait till there's an inspection or, or a report of something not being in place. I think I think there needs to be the fact that it's not a one and done job. You need to understand that, that human factors have a, a very large impact on you know, making sure that things are in place, sustainable and effective. So to me, you know, by, by any form of data or process which helps you understand the load your people are on and what they're subjectively feeling will really give you some insight into where you need to spend some time and attention. So the, the best critical control pro program in the world will, you know, fail ultimately if individuals either aren't across it and they're new and they don't understand the where it's come from and how to implement. But secondly, is around if, if they've got their head in, in other areas and they're not you know, you know, focused on where they, it needs to be, um, you know, that's, that's a big red flag as well. So you, know, you can't discount the human element. We can't fall into the trap of another management system that is you know, identifying those material areas. It still relies upon people um, and people are both you know, the solution to what we need and where we, who we need to consult with, but we need to be conscious that people are not robots and they have variable levels of performance. And yes, we need to take those into account. Um, but yeah, anything that will help us understand what people are subjectively feeling are drift indicators, which we can act upon and, and have, you know, be appreciative and take appreciative inquiry as to what's going on and, and look to assist in that area. So as organisations start to think around, well, what are they going to report on? I mean, by nature, 
critical control management is is really critical. So I mean, why wouldn't you report on it um, and have that as one of your key indicators that you're reporting to, to senior managers and boards? Um, notwithstanding that, I appreciate that you know, having a balanced scorecard is really important. So if we look beyond reporting on critical control effectiveness and the critical control management program, um, Take into consideration both the lead and lag indicator concept. On the screen here, um, there's a, 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 a quadrant. Um, Left-hand side is, is lead, all the way through to lag and predict. Um, if we then slice that through the middle and look at top to bottom, there's certain elements around reporting um, on performance as ways indicated around stakeholder, um, stakeholder and shareholder expectations that are driven externally and some driven internally. So this is just one example of how you might want to start to think about different metrics to report on. The International Association of Oil and Gas Producers has got some great material around trying to differentiate and classify um, loss of um, potential um, containment. So, you know, the classic near miss, so rather than just report on a near miss, what sort of near miss was it? Was it something that had a really high potential consequence that relates back to your critical control program and those material unwanted events? Or was it a near miss event that um, was a little bit more trivial and we're not going to spend as much time on it? Um, all the way through to some things that are a little bit more um, reactive around notifying incidents to regulators and shareholder disclosures, shareholder disclosures uh, are really important as part of that balance scorecard um, as well. Um, from memory, Wade, you, you've had a bit of experience around claims management. Um, and although often some of the, the larger claims are related to high frequency um, events, I mean, do you have any sort of shared learning around um, claims management and reporting as well? Yeah, yeah I think it's easy to fall into the trap of to manage the noisy signal, which is like you said, those high frequency sort of medium consequence. I think the other one that we often miss is around when people are in certain forms of, you know, the workers' compensation systems and injury management that they often can cause secondary, um, you know, uh, trauma and anxiety, you know, in those systems, they sometimes can be quite adversarial. So, you know, it's important to note that work extends to um, and past once you're injured. So it's important to, to note sort of that area and not lose sight of you still need to prevent harm to people whilst they may have a claim. Um, and, and then secondly, it, it's really important to provide really quick early intervention to people that actually you know, do need it. And, and often, you know, if you've got a reporting culture where people are reporting when they're hurt, you often want to transition that to people reporting when they feel pain um, and, and getting ahead and, and, and working with somebody to help prevent it becoming a diagnosable injury. So where we can move up, up towards, you know, um, you know, supporting people to take active management of their health conditions, that's great. But also secondly, we need to look at like, like this quadrant is, look at the proactive care that we can place on people to help them build um, skill sets that they can be resilient, but also not um, totally focusing all of our energies and attention upon um, focusing on the individual. You still need to focus on the barrel and you need to make sure that, you know, through through a you know, an assessment process, we're not putting either an individual or a job role under excessive load, um, which then leads to, you know, ha us having to take either proactive compliance or 
reactive response and compliance activity. Um, and then if we sit back and say, well, well, that person didn't comply, well, we didn't set them up for success because you know, whilst we may have had everything there, if they're overloaded with workload um, demands and or interpersonal relationships within the team, um, you know, the structural elements aren't going to you know, implement themselves. So I, I think it's important to, to acknowledge that factor here is and how the subjective climate of the organisation is really does determine around how well any form of um, risk management you know, a process can be embedded within a business. Yeah, look, a lot of people would argue that um, lost time injury and TRIFA rates are statistically unreliable and invalid and really not a great indicator. Um, as organisations start to mature, that becomes even more um, um, front of mind because you're having a lot less lag data to make decisions on. Um, so by nature, as organisations start to mature, become more sophisticated, it is important for them to sort of move towards not only lead indicators, um, but reliable and valid lead indicators that can be used to benchmark externally and lead and, la lead and predictive indicators that are starting to, I guess, preempt where to start to focus their, their time, energy and resources. Um, and ultimately trying to tie that back to your strategy. So there's no point in, in, in measuring something um, just for measurement's sake. Um, trying to tie that back into where the organisation is going strategically. Um, and somehow you know, involving the troops along the way. So there's not only a, a measure that's reported, but there's some sort of learning that organisations can use and individuals can use to improve. Um, Wade, um, we are sort of starting to tie things off towards the back end of the presentation with only a few minutes to go. Um, is there anything else you wanted to, to share on this slide? Um, I think it's important that, you know, you don't, you don't, when, when you're, you're considering something new in your business, you don't have to chuck something away. Um, it's often, like you said, the re, a rebalancing of priorities towards focusing upstream as you, as you become better, as you manage better the downstream elements. So I think it's important to, that the people acknowledge where their business is at and what are the drivers of their business. So this is one of those things where, you know, we'd all love to play in the top right corner, but sometimes we've got to acknowledge that the businesses we're in are supporting are at different points. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong about that. It's just around, you know, being on that, that journey and also going as fast as the business will, you know, has that ability to then undertake that. Um, but but I, also, I also think, you know, from, from a proactive care perspective, setting standards such as identifying critical controls that are above the legislative needs um, is also a really strong way of, of, of um, really visualising but also creating really concrete examples of the values in which the business is in. So often people are unaware when they see requirements, they just assume they, are they really the legislative or, or, or they need to be happened. People often don't understand the nuances that you, know, you can you know, create different thresholds for risk and there's always a balance point. Um, so I think a lot of businesses do themselves out at a disservice by not outlining that the standards they're setting are often far above what a legislative standpoint is and that should really be, you know, commended um, but also that when, you know, something isn't implemented, um, you know, there might be a need to go back and have a look why but also the setting of that bar so high um, well above legislative compliance allows for reporting of near misses when things aren't in place rather than um, you know, near misses when people were almost hurt. So you look at those barriers in place. So, so I think you're right, the system, the, the processes in which we have 
need to evolve um, and and uh, are really you know moving towards where we would like them to be. But please, for those people out there that you know want to want to jump to something that that's great, if your business is not ready, it's it's not gonna it's it's not gonna it's gonna be very hard to implement. So um, you know, take the time, understand where your business is at, reach out to people who have done it before, and um, I think you know realize you're gonna have to be playing all four boxes. Um, at some stage during the day or, or week. Yeah, great. So um, we are sort of running towards the end of the uh, webinar today, Sarah, but uh, is there an opportunity to put the, the poll there? So the, the poll today is uh, what resonates with your organisation? So hopefully um, people can select more than one here. Um, and the options there are um, over-reliance on lag indicators. Um, needing for, for metrics to align with the strategic objectives, uh, metrics to track critical control effectiveness, um, and having both reliable and valid survey data. And lastly, whatever else you think um, might be important to share today. So we'll wait a, a couple of moments for responses and hopefully Sarah, you'll be able to provide us with some sort of um, collation of the results. Yeah, I'll share that in just a moment. Um, I'm just, if there's anybody who has any questions, you can start to put them in the Q&A and we'll, we'll get to those in a sec. Um, okay, I'll share that in just a couple of seconds. There you go. Okay, so we've almost got a, um, a tie, Sarah. Um, so the, the two highest responses, um, both 75 and 72% respectively, um, uh, need, needs for metrics to align with strategic objectives. Um, and the second one, metrics to track critical control effectiveness. So you know, having those two in place clearly is a, a really good foundation to be able to get a good handle on critical control management and, and health and safety more generally for organisations. So as we start to round out the, the webinar, um, um, there are additional resources out there. Feel free connecting with us. Um, I understand that, um, Sarah, there's going to be another webinar um, talking about how to actually use um, safety software to deploy critical control management effectively. So that'll be tomorrow. Um, and really, um, from our perspective, um, this is webinar five. We're handing things over to Miles tomorrow. And Sarah, you'll be um, going through a little bit more around the actual software and how it relates to critical control management. Yeah, we will be um, basically launching our digital bow tie, which is really a game changer in um, software when it comes to critical risk management. Um, we'll be going through how do you how you can add risks um, using the digital bow tie identify controls and performance standards, and then use smart inspections to regularly verify that the controls are working. And um, the, the also we'll show how a rules engine can um, invoke powerful tech to drive um, action when controls are compromised. And also similar to what you've been talking about, how to set up and analyze um, critical performance dashboards. So. The link is on that page. I've put it in the chat. Hopefully, we'll see a lot of people tomorrow. Hopefully, I think Mitchell Services are also joining us. They've been um, leading the way in in, in um, implementing this technology. Um, and there'll also be a movie case study release next week. Um, 
that uh, shows how exactly they're doing that with the workers on their sites in Brisbane. So um, any, I don't think there's any questions uh, at the moment. Um, no. So I'd like to thank you, Mark, um, for all of this information. Um, we are putting it all together on, on a new website and um, so that people will be able to share them and watch them again or watch or listen to them as pet podcasts. And um, thank you, Wade, also for joining us today. That was fantastic to hear your experience. Thank you, Wade. Yeah, cheers. All right, everyone. Um, look out for an email later today, the recording podcast, everything will be on there. So thank you. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks.